Hey, welcome to ACF Church, and we're so glad that you're with us watching this message online. And our hope is that it would encourage you to be more like Jesus and walk closely with Him as an apprentice of Christ. And our hope is to give away all of these resources for free as much as possible. It takes a lot of time and energy and people to make that happen. And if you'd like to support the mission of God financially for ACF Church, you can go to acfak.org and you can give there. Now enjoy the Word of God proclaimed. Good morning. Welcome to ACF. It is great to be with you guys this morning. You're here. It's Daylight Saving Sunday, and so I'm just glad you're here, all right? You didn't sleep in, and I I do have to say I gave a little more props to 9 a.m. this morning. Uh, Those were like the the rock-solid Christians today, Um, but we love you too, okay? Like so, no. Uh, Can we just get rid of Daylight Savings? Sorry. That's a side note. Uh, now, welcome to ACF Church. My name is Josh. I'm one of the pastors here. If you're joining us online, uh, we're so grateful and glad that you are with us today. Uh, if you're new to ACF, I just want to say welcome. We are so glad that you're here. And we, we have a saying here at ACF. We say this often. We say, you don't have to believe to belong. You don't have to believe exactly what we believe to belong here today, that today you can experience some community. You can experience people loving you, who you are, where you are at. And we believe this, that every single one of us is on a journey of faith. Whether you don't believe in Jesus at all, whether you've been a Christian for 70 plus years faithfully serving him, that none of us have arrived, and we all have next steps to take in our faith journey. So we are glad that you are with us today. So we are in week two of a four-week series uh, and, and called Heart Check. And what we're doing is we've been following along these four principles out of a book called Enemies of the Heart. If you've not picked up that book, I would highly suggest to pick it up and read it. It is a powerful book. Uh, we were selling it. We are sold out. But you can still download it. You can get it um, at Barnes & Noble. But pick up that book. It is a fantastic book by Andy Stanley. And we're walking through these, these four enemies, if you will, of the heart. And last week, we talked about guilt. Pastor Brian talked about guilt being one of the enemies of our heart. And if you weren't here last week, it, uh, you should go back, go to our website, and listen to or watch last week's message. Powerful message on guilt. Well, today, enemy number two, the enemy we're talking about today is the enemy of anger. Enemy of anger. I thought it was highly appropriate that I'd be talking about this today. I've been very angry this week. The Seahawks are not making good choices. And I've been a bit angry. You shut your mouth. (laughs) And so to to make sure that we're all, all in the same page... To make sure that we're all on the same level, we're all coming from the same place, I want to I do a little experiment in this room real quick. Raise your hand if you've ever driven on or ridden in a car on the Glen Highway. Just raise your hand. So we've all been angry, okay? We've all admitted <laughs> we have been angry before. No one in this room has ever not been angry. This is important, that we're all coming from the same place. So today we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to pull them out, 
Turn to Ephesians chapter 4. If you have your, if the Bible's on your phone, that's awesome. Pull it out. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, uh, starting in verse 31. And while you guys are doing that, I have another question. And this, this is really important for us. This might seem a little odd, but my question is this. Have you ever purchased a Christmas gift for somebody? And you purchased them something that they needed, not necessarily something that they wanted. And we've never tried that before. You're like, Christmas list? Nah. I know what you need. You know, maybe you have like a, a sister, and it's like, sis, I've been to your apartment. I got you a Roomba for Christmas. All right, because you clearly need this, right? Hopefully you've never done this one before, but maybe, honey... I got you cooking lessons for Christmas. I mean, this is the gift that just keeps on giving. This is going to be good for the whole family, right? This actually happened. This, this, this actually happened. I have a friend of mine, several, several years ago. I have a friend of mine, and we're hanging out shortly after Christmas. I was like, hey, man, how was your Christmas? I was good. What'd you get? And he looks at me. He's like, I got something kind of weird. Like, this is a little weird. And I was like, what? And he said, my in-laws hand me an envelope. And when they hand it to me, they say, they say, we think you need this. And he opens it up. It was a gym membership. <laughs> no joke. I want us to do something this morning. We're going to be very tempted as we go through this message. We're going to be very tempted to go, I know who needs this. I know who needs this message today. We're talking about anger. I know who I'm sending this message to on Monday. Maybe when I said we're talking about anger today, you already got the elbow in the ribs. You got to look down the chairs. But here's what I want us to do. In our hearts, in our minds, I want us to say this. Today, this message is for me. In fact, I want us to do this together. Can we just close our eyes? Can we focus on Jesus for just a moment? Focus on our own hearts, our own lives. And in your own way, in the, in the quietness of your heart, or even if out loud if you'd like, say, today this message is for me. Jesus, I pray that you would open up our eyes to see our sin, to see our anger, God. David cries in the psalm, See if there be any wicked way in me. God, we all, every one of us, has had or has anger in our lives. And God, I pray that we'd be able to focus on our own hearts and not have all the, the, the faces and the names of people who, who need to hear today's message. God, but that we would focus on our own hearts. Open up our eyes and our ears, Holy Spirit. In your name we pray. Amen. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31. Paul talks about anger. We're going to jump right into this. And as we do, as we hear these words of Paul today, I want us to understand the audience that he's writing to. He's not writing to some random group of people who, who maybe are, are political activists on, on, on any side who just seem to have a lot of anger. He's not writing to non-believers. He's writing to the church. He's writing to Christians, and this is what he says, chapter 4, starting in verse 31. Let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting and slander, be removed from you, along with all malice. Right? Paul needed to use these words for the church in Ephesus. And man, I, I believe that we need to hear them today. I believe that we need to hear these words today. I think when the world looks in at the church, what they experience and what they see so often is just that anger, wrath, shouting, slander. And Paul's writing to the church. He says, look, let all bitterness, anger, and wrath, shouting, and slander be removed from you along with malice. And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you in Christ. So Paul writes these words to the church, and he's saying, look, remove anger. Remove anger. 
And we're going to talk about that today, talk about how to do that. Before we can even get to the place of removing anger, I think we, we need to be able to answer this simple question. And that is, is this, is what is anger and where does it come from? Like, I think we'd all have kind of different ideas and definition of what anger is. What is anger and where does it come from? Or quite simply, we need to answer the question, why do I get angry? Why do I get angry? Now, you might think you know why you get angry. You're like, well, I get angry because the kids, they don't put their stuff away when I've asked them 37 times to put their stuff away. I think they would get it by now. Right? Amen. Right? Like... (laughs) Right? I get angry because, look, my, my boss, I work really hard, and then my boss takes all the credit for my work. That's what makes me angry. Well, I, I get angry because, like, it's Friday, and there's, like, two minutes before class gets out, and then the teacher just loads us up with homework last minute. Like, they knew what they were doing. That makes me angry. Right? I get angry when people go 65 miles an hour in the left-hand lane, when clearly there's a right-hand lane for those who want to go the speed limit. Right? The left-hand lane is for those of us who want to get places. That's what makes me angry. Amen, right? We know what makes us angry, but the question is, why do we get angry? Why do we get angry? And if we're going to talk about anger today, I think this is really important for us to be able to clarify and understand. Quite simply, we get angry when we don't get what we want. That's when we get angry. We get angry when we don't get what we want. And you might push back on that a little bit, go, no, I can think of times when, like, it's not about not getting what I want, right? It's just about, like, no, I want them to put their stuff away. But no, you didn't get what you wanted. You didn't get them putting their stuff away, so you didn't get what you wanted. Well, I just, I just, it's not about not getting what I want, but, like, I wish my boss would just stop taking all the credit for my work. But no, what you want is credit for your work, right? It's about not getting what we want. And so often, when we have this feeling of, like, I didn't get what we want, really what we're saying is is that we're owed something. I'm owed this credit for my work. And, and, And this whole thing comes from a belief in our hearts that says this, you owe me. That's really where our anger comes from. It comes from a belief that says, you Oh, me. See, maybe, maybe you're a teenager in this room and, and you're going like, no, 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 like, I get angry at my mom and dad because they make me, like, babysit my little siblings on a Friday night. That's why I'm angry. But it's like, no, no, no. What you're saying is you owe me the opportunity to go out and hang out with my friends on a Friday night. That's, that's why I'm angry. Or, or, or maybe you're a parent in the room and you're like, no, no, I'm not, it's not that my kids owe me anything. I just, I need them to obey me. That's what they owe me, right? Like, even the Bible says that my kids are supposed to obey me. So, so I, have, I have a right here, right? Like, even the Bible says this. No, you owe me obedience is what you're saying. And, and these things are like these ideas of you owe me. I, what we're talking about is kind of surface level things. Right? Like, you owe me to clean up after yourself. You owe me to put your dishes away. Boss, you owe me some credit for the work I do. And then, that's fine. But what happens when these things go deeper than that? What happens when it goes much, much deeper of you owe me? Because maybe you're, you're married and you felt like your spouse owed you faithfulness, but you didn't get what you want. Or what happens when, when you're a child and you feel like your parent, your dad, owed you a relationship as a child, but you didn't get what you wanted? Or what happens when maybe you're, you're a minority in this country and, and you feel like you're owed some equality here, but you didn't get what you wanted? Or maybe you're vulnerable and, and you felt like your mentor owed you safety, but you didn't get what you wanted? Or maybe you're broken and you come to the church And you feel like you're owed understanding and grace, but you didn't get what you wanted. And what happens is you become angry. This comes from the book, Enemies of the Heart, this quote. Andy Stanley says this. He says, show me an angry person and I'll show you a hurt person. And I guarantee you that person is hurt because something has been taken. Somebody owes them something, if nothing else, an apology. 
You see, when, when we feel like somebody owes us, what we're doing is we're setting up a debt-to-debtor relationship. They owe me a debt. They owe me something, and, and now I am the debtor, and they owe me their debt. They've taken something from me, regardless of what it is. And we live our lives in these debt-to-debtor relationships. When we feel someone owes us a debt, we feel like they, their job and their responsibility is to pay us back. You owe me. And we get angry when we don't get what we think we deserve, or we get angry when we don't get what we actually do deserve. See, I'm not saying that anger is wrong. You should never be angry. That's not what I'm saying. I'm not saying that in these instances we're talking about that that person shouldn't have been angry. What I'm simply trying to do is establish an understanding of where anger comes from. That we understand it comes from this debt-to-debtor relationship. It comes from this understanding and this belief that you owe me something. And that is where anger comes from. And you might be sitting there going, okay, that makes sense, but what about things like righteous anger? What about things that are are worthy to be angry at, that I probably should be angry at? Shouldn't I be angry for the abuse that happened to me in my life? Shouldn't I be angry at the injustice that's been done to me? Shouldn't I be angry at things like suicide and racism and abortion and and war and, and wealth disparities and modern day slavery and sex trafficking and all these things? Shouldn't I be angry at that? Doesn't even the Bible say like, don't be, don't sin in your anger. In your anger, do not sin. So it's okay to be angry. Yes. Absolutely yes. These are things that we should be angry at. And yes, the Bible says, in your anger, do not sin. But my next question to you is this. But now what? But now what? You're angry. Okay. Now what? What is the purpose of you being angry? What is the purpose of anger in our lives? In fact, let's look at that verse, shall we? Let's look at that verse in Ephesians. In in your anger, do not sin. In fact, this is being written just a few sentences ahead of the verse that we just read. Just a few sentences ahead of, hey, get rid of bitterness and anger and malice and all that stuff. Get rid of it. Right before that, this is what Paul writes in Ephesians 4.26. He says, in your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. Okay, really popular verse. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. I think like every single young Christian married couple, they're like, goals, right? I am never going to let the sun go down on my anger with my wife. Never going to do it. We are always going to work it out before the sun goes down. And I'm like, that's so cute. <laughs> oh man, just God bless you. Right, they're up till 2.30 in the morning. You've experienced this like, no, the later it gets, the more tired we get, clearly the more common sense we have in, in figuring out this anger, right? Figuring out this problem. What is Paul saying right here? Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Is he saying, hey, if you live in Alaska in January, you got about three hours to be angry? (laughs) In the summertime, man, just go weeks. Just go weeks of anger. It's totally okay. I don't think he's saying that. I think clearly what Paul is talking about is that there is an appropriate time and season for your anger, but at the end of the day, your anger needs to come to an end. It's not something that's meant to be carried with you on and on year after year after year you carry this anger with you. No, no, no. Your anger has a purpose to it. It's supposed to actually do something inside of you, not just be a feeling that you walk around with frustrated and angry over even injustice, even things that are good to be angry about, but that there's a purpose to it. And this really hit me uh, over the last few weeks as I was studying this. And, and it kind of just like, man, it hit me in the gut, I, a realization as I was looking at Scripture and looking at these kind of instances of righteous anger and these things. And what I realized is that our anger is supposed to take us somewhere. It's not just supposed to be something we hold on to. It's supposed to actually take us somewhere. And get this, the place our anger is supposed to take us is to a, is to a place of love. You say, What? That makes no sense. Exactly. 
That is the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God does not make sense. It is an upside down kingdom. But where, where anger takes us is to a place eventually of love. And you think about that. And, and, and have you ever heard those stories of people who had serious injustice or serious trauma happen to them? I, I think about uh, uh, this woman I know, and her daughter was killed by a drunk driver. Just a devastating story. And the drunk driver ended up going to jail and, and carrying out his sentence. And when, when he got out of jail, God had worked in this woman's heart. She was so full of anger. And she, God had worked in her heart. And yes, she was angry at him, and she was just angry at the fact that so, this happens to so many people. But he started to stir in her heart. And what she realized was how broken this man was. And, and that the, the place that brought him to, to where he was at, where he was drinking and driving, he had brokenness in his life. And at the end of the day, she ended up like loving him and, and having real compassion for him. And when he got out of jail, she, she took him in, under her wing like a son. And it's this powerful story. And what we, we see this over and over again, and we see it in Scripture, and we see people like Paul and Silas who are being mistreated by their prison guards, and they're being beaten and abused. And then what ends up happening is, is they're moved to a place of love. And I'm sure when they're getting beaten, there's some anger like, I don't deserve this. I can't believe this is happening to me. And yet what ends up happening is they're ministering to these prison guards and their entire families get saved. And we see people like, like Stephen who gets murdered in front of like a whole group of people in the name of God, right? And what does he do is he says, Father, forgive them for what they're doing. He's moved to a place of love for them. And of course, our God is the epitome of this example who is angry at our sin, and he should be because our sin is destroying us. Imagine, and maybe you don't even have to imagine, maybe you're actually in this place, of, of having a child who's just destroying their lives. Maybe with drugs, maybe with alcohol, maybe it's something else, but they're destroying their lives. You are angry at your child, but you're, you're angry at what they're doing to themselves because you see the pain and the destruction that they're bringing into their own lives. And this is how God sees us, but to a million degrees higher than that, and he's angry at our sin. And what does it do? Is it moves him to a place of love where he comes down and he suffers on our behalf. See, anger can and at many times is appropriate, but it's not for us just to hold on to. That it, it should end. Even righteous anger, even anger over things like ah, sex trafficking. It's not that I'm just walking around anger all the time. It's like, no, now I'll move to a place. I love these women and I want to do something for them. And I even weirdly find myself in a place of loving those that are purchasing the women because there's just complete brokenness in their life. And I want to make a difference and I want to make it better. It moves us to a place of love. If we do not put anger out of our lives, if we do not remove it from our lives and we allow it to continue on, even righteous anger, what does Paul say will happen? He says, remove anger lest you give the devil a foothold in your life. When we just continue to carry on our anger, when we continue to walk in it, what we end up doing is giving the devil real estate of our hearts. And, 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 and whatever real estate that is, like one square acre of, of, of real estate called anger under the umbrella of anger, of, of you owe me, and, and that gives the devil a foothold in our lives. And we just continue with our anger. And the truth is, there's many, many people in this room. There's many, many people watching online right now that you're angry because you've been hurt. Somebody really does owe you something. Right? There really is a debt-to-debtor relationship that has been established. And, and if you're honest, even even anger that's justified, many people, that anger just lives in their hearts, and what ends up happening is it becomes a disease. And just like any disease, it just doesn't go away. It just doesn't go away. You can ignore it all you want, but it doesn't go away. And we have to remove it, as Paul says. We must remove the anger. Remove these things from your life. So how do we remove anger? 
right? How do you remove it from your life? That's, that's easy. That's nice, Paul. Just remove the anger. Yeah, just take it off. Just like a dirty shirt. Just bleep, take it off, throw it, in the, throw it in the dirty clothes, right? How do you remove anger from your life? Listen to Paul's words. He actually tells us in this verse, tells us how to remove the anger. He says, let all bitterness and anger and wrath, shouting and slander be removed from you along with all malice. Get rid of it. Now, Paul, in this very next piece, he tells us how to get rid of it. Before we do that, I want to I I address the way we think we get rid of it. Because how we actually get rid of it and how we often try to get rid of it are two very different things. You see, what we said was anger comes from this debt-to-debtor relationship, right? Like, you owe me, you took from me, now you, you owe me, so there's a debt-to-debtor relationship set up. Now, how do we, how do we get rid of debt? You pay it off, Right? You pay off the debt. So, so often we think if they would just pay off the debt, then I could not be angry at them. Right? And in some ways this is, could be true. It's like someone says something that hurts your feelings and they come back like, man, I'm really sorry I did that. You're like, okay, I can stop being angry at you. Like, okay, that, that's true, that happens. You owe me an apology. Or it's like, oh man, you, you broke my thing. You broke my, my four-wheeler. You broke my side-by-side. Man, it's almost side-by-side season. Don't go break someone else's side-by-side right now. We're all just waiting to use them. You broke my side-by-side. Soon as you pay to fix it, then I can stop being angry at you. Right? Like, oh, just give me the credit for my work that's due, boss, and then I can stop being angry at you. Right? It makes sense. We kind of think this way. Like, okay, one plus one equals two. Like, they, own, they took something from me. They owe me a debt. They pay back the debt, and now my anger goes away. Right? It's kind of this eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth mentality. We, we really live this way. But think about that. If someone really plucked out your eye, and then you turn around and get to pluck their eye out, are you like, okay, we're good. We're cool. Anger's gone. We're good. That doesn't work that way. But we, I mean, we really try to live our lives this way, and, and we think it works, right? We think one plus one equals two. Just you owe me a debt, pay off the debt, and then I can stop being angry at you. But what about like real major, major debts? Again, that was surface level stuff, but what about major debts in our life? How does a father who's been absent from his son's life for 25 years go back and pay that debt back? How does someone who's left you for somebody else left the marriage for somebody else, turn around and pay that debt back? How does a coach who tells their athlete, like, hey, you, you're getting a little too big for this sport, and turn around and give you an eating disorder? How does that coach pay that debt back? What if, what if the person who owes you a debt is dead? How do they pay that debt back? See, one plus one just doesn't equal two. It's not like we get our debt paid back to us and then everything's all better. And then the anger goes away. That's, that's just not the way it really works. We want it to. We believe it does. But that's not what brings us to a place of not having anger, not carrying that anger anymore. So how do we get rid of anger? What does Paul say? In verse 32, he says, And be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. Forgiving one another. The way you get rid of anger, as Paul likes to say, is by forgiving one another. Now, when I say that, there are people in the room that said, oh, no. No way. I'm not doing that. You don't know what they did. You don't know what she said. You don't know what he took from me. Like, I cannot forgive. I would just rather hang on to my anger. I will not forgive. I'll choose anger over forgiveness. I have a right to be angry. Right? I have a right to be angry. And maybe you do have a right. Maybe you do have a right to be angry. But my question to you is this. Why do you want to be angry? It's a simple question. Why do you want to be angry? I think we have a lot of different reasons. I think that uh, we like to have anger in our lives because it protects us from the pain. Like we know the debt, and it's like, oh no, the anger will help protect me from feeling the pain of what is owed to me. I think oftentimes we don't understand really what forgiveness is, and so we think all sorts of things of what forgiveness is, and we go, no, 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 I just can't do that. 
But the reality is, the truth is, people who carry anger in their lives are affected. They themselves are affected by the anger. Right? You can be angry at somebody, so angry at them, and it affects your sleep. It affects other relationships in your life. It affects your appetite. It can even affect you uh, uh, physically. Like so many people have like digestive problems, stress problems because of the anger in their lives. And what ends up happening is the person you're angry at often has no idea. Right? They're sleeping peacefully in their beds and you're up at night tossing and turning because they traded Russell Wilson. Right? Right? And they're just, they're at peace. They have no idea. Maybe they even do know that you're angry at them. But I can guarantee you it's affecting you way more than it's affecting them. Why do we allow people to control our happiness, our success with other relationships, our, our joy, our peace in our lives? Why do we allow that and just to go, no, I, I want to be angry. I'm going to hold on to this. I'm not going to forgive. Victims don't want to be proactive about change. They want to be proactive about making sure the person who hurts them pays. We become obsessed about the payback. They owe me something. And that's why we don't want to forgive. But the question is, is what is forgiveness? I think we have a, a real big misunderstanding of what it means to forgive. And so to find the definition of what is forgiveness, I want to look at the words of Jesus. I think Jesus gives us this excellent definition of what forgiveness is. And we're going to be in Matthew chapter 18 is where the story comes from. It's a big, big, big chunk of scripture. And so I'm going to, I'm going to talk through a little bit and we'll read it word for word at the end. But I want, I want to tell you what's going on. So Peter and Jesus and the disciples, they're all hanging out. And Peter comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, how often do I have to forgive somebody who's wronged me? How often do I need to do it? In my mind, like I see Peter just really getting annoyed with some of the other disciples. And he's like, okay, Jesus, how, how many more times do I have to forgive them? Now, Jewish law said that you had to forgive two times plus one. That was Jewish law. If someone continued to do wrong to you, you had to forgive them two times plus one. So it's been spring break all week this week, and so for you guys, that's three. Okay? Three times. Figured that out. I know they're working on it. Um, two times plus one. So Peter comes to Jesus, and he goes, Jesus, how, how many times do we have to forgive our brothers who continue to do wrong to us? Like seven times? Now Peter... Peter knows he's been hanging out with Jesus. He knows, oh man, he's going to say more than three times. So I'm going to really impress him. He's probably going to say like five times. He's going to go above and beyond you, the law. He always does. Always you know, blows my mind with the law. So he's probably going to say like five times. I'm going to impress Jesus. Jesus, how many times do we have to forgive? Like seven? That's right. I said seven. Mind blown, Jesus. You just think I'm amazing because I'm willing to forgive somebody seven times. And Jesus says, no, not Seven times, seven times, 70 times, Peter. In other words, he blows Peter's mind on this, this reality. Like Peter's whole life, he's growing up thinking, I only have to forgive someone three times. And Jesus just blew that away. And then Jesus starts to tell this story. He says, Peter, there was a king, and the king was calling in his debts. A lot of people owed the king a lot of money, and he's calling in the debts. And this, this servant comes to the king, and the king says, pay your debt. And this servant owed millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. Some of you guys know this story. And he, he owes millions of dollars to the king, and he does not have two dimes to rub together to pay the king back. He's lost it all. And so because of that, which was the law, was him and his family were to be sold into slavery, and it's like a paid type of slavery until they could work to pay the debt off. And the reality is that they would never pay this debt off. They would be slaves forever. And so the man throws himself before the king, and he begs, king, please give me more time. It didn't matter how much time the king was going to give him. He would never pay it off. But he begs the king, please, king, give me more time. And the king doesn't give him more time. What the king does is he says, you know what? I am going to forgive your debt. I'm going to cancel your debt. I just think about 
if the bank ever called me, like I'm waiting for this phone call, and they're like, Josh, you know what? Your mortgage, just forget about it. Done. Like, how, how dope would that be? Right? Like, yeah, I'd be like, honey, call my wife. Well, guess what? Mortgage gone. Like, this is amazing. And that's just, that's not that, like, it's not that much money compared to what this guy owed millions upon millions upon millions of dollars. Just forgiven, gone. And you think the story ends there, but it doesn't. The, <clears throat> the man then goes out and he finds another servant, kind of worked with him, who owes him like a thousand bucks. And he goes to that servant, he's like, hey, pay me my money. You owe me. The man can't do it. He doesn't have the money. He asks for more time. And as he asks for more time, the guy says, nope, I'm calling the debt. You owe me my money. You can't pay it. I'm putting you in prison. And that was his right to do. That was the law. He could do that. And so he has the servant put into prison for not paying back his $1,000 debt. The king hears about this. And he calls the servant back to his court. And this is what we're going to pick up in Matthew chapter 18, starting in verse 32. The servant comes before the king, and this is what the king says. He says, you wicked servant, I forgave all that debt because you begged me. Shouldn't you also have mercy on your fellow servant as I've had mercy on you? And because he was angry, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he could pay everything he was owed so also my heavenly Father will do to you unless every one of you forgives his brother or sister from your heart. So what does it mean to forgive? From the words of Jesus, from the mouth of Jesus, this is how Jesus defined forgiveness. The king, out of the king's mouth, he says, I forgave all that debt. That is what forgiveness is. What is forgiveness? The decision to cancel debt. That is what forgiveness is. It is the decision to cancel the debt that is owed to you. But look what happens in this story. See, this I owe, or you owe me mentality, this debt-to-debtor relationship that gets set up. When, when the servant calls the debt of the other servant and demands to be paid, when we demand to be paid back for the debt that is owed to us, what happens to the servant? He's the one who gets put into prison. When we demand to be owed our debt, we're the ones who get put into prison. That's what Jesus was saying. Unless, unless you do this, my, my father's going to do the same thing to you. What he's saying is, look, I'm, he, we get put into our own prison. We are the ones that like go and lock ourselves up when we demand to be paid back for our debt. It is he who gets put into prison. You see, but, but when we're the ones who forgive the debt... We're the ones who are set free. See, don't you see that? That so many of us are imprisoned right now. Like I talked about earlier, having anger in our hearts, and we're the ones who can't sleep. We're the ones who are affected physically from it. And yet on the other side of a canceled debt is freedom in your life from that. But I think there's, there's four groups of people when it comes to forgiveness in this room. And there's these reasons why we don't or can't. And, and, and I think... I want to talk about these four things that, that we kind of think about when we think about forgiveness. First of all, we think, well, I want to forgive, but I'm really afraid to. I don't know what that all means, and I don't know what my life will look like on the other side of forgiveness. I know what my life looks like on this side with anger, but I don't know what my life will look like on the other side with forgiveness, with a canceled debt. I want to, but I'm afraid to. Number two is, I can't forgive it because it will just be letting the other person off the hook. There's a lot of people that live right here. Well, I can't forgive because it's letting a whole bunch of people off the hook or this person off the hook for what they did. Number three, I think there's a lot of people that are here. I tried to forgive, but the anger just came back. Like, sure, that sounds good. Release the anger, cancel the debt, get rid of anger out of your life. Well, Josh, I did that, and the anger's still here. The anger just came back. It didn't work. And then number four is I continue to forgive, and I, I live in freedom from my past. See, we have some real big misunderstandings of what it means to cancel a debt. We think, like I said, it means we're letting the other person off the hook. We think it means that we have to forget about what they did. Right? We have to forget about the thing that hurt us. And we, we often try to live this way, like, okay, I'm owed this debt. I'm just going to forget about the debt. I'm going to try to go through my life and just forget that you owe me anything. But then every time I see you, I'm reminded of what you owe me. 
right? And, and we try to forget debt. In fact, we say this all the time, don't we? When someone hurts us and they come to us, like, man, I'm really sorry. We go, ah, don't worry about it. Just forget it. Like, we want to forget about our past. We want to forget about the hurts. And we really lean heavy into, nah, just forget about it. But that is not forgiving a debt. Uh, uh, we, we're afraid to cancel a debt because we think what we're saying is, it's okay that what you did to me is, what you did to me is okay. It's okay that this happened. Again, we say this all the time. I'm really sorry. Oh, it's okay. Eh, it's okay. Forget about it. But that's not what canceling a debt is. We also are afraid to cancel a debt because we think it means we have to go back into a relationship with somebody that we clearly should not be in a relationship with. Like there's, there's, there's just unhealth there. And we have to get rid of all boundaries if we cancel a debt. See, that is not what canceling a debt is. You might not feel like canceling the debt, and that's okay, but your freedom could be on the other side today, on the other side of a canceled debt. See, I just I want us to get this in our head. Canceling a debt does not mean it lets the other person off the hook. Canceling a debt does not mean what the other person did is okay. Canceling a debt does not mean you have to be in relationship with them, and canceling a debt does not mean you have to forget about what they did. It is not forgiving that cancels a debt, but forgiving that cancels a debt. This is important for us to understand. This helps us take steps forward through the fears of what it means to forgive. Why must we forgive? Why must we do it? Why does Paul say to forgive? Let's finish this verse here. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another. But you might go, but the person who, who owes me a debt, they haven't asked for forgiveness. In fact, the person who owes me a debt, they, they, they don't want forgiveness. They, they do it again. The person who owes me a debt, they keep hurting me in the same way over and over again. The person that hurt me, they, that owes me the debt, what they did is unforgivable. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving one another, just as God also forgave you. This is why. Just as God also forgave you in Christ. Again, we talked about this just a minute ago. Many of us in the room know this, but you might not understand that we all owe a debt that cannot be paid. In this story, we're all the servant that owed the millions and millions and millions of dollars. We're not the king. And we're not even that other servant who like owed a thousand bucks. We are the servant that owed millions and millions of dollars. We all had a debt that cannot be paid. Like Josh, you know where you're going with this. Yeah, I know, but hear me out. That is our sin that cannot be repaid. And that sin really is a big deal. That debt is a big deal. And you might not go, oh, my sin's not that big of a deal. Like, yeah, I've hurt people, but I'm not Hitler, right? Like, we always go to Hitler. I don't know why, but I do know why, but we always go to Hitler, right? As long as I can compare myself to that, I'm not worse than that, then I'm fine, right? My debt's not that big. That's a big debt. My debt, eh. Scripture tells us something different. Scripture tells us something actually very different. Scripture tells us that if we hate somebody, which often, probably always, starts with anger, but if you hate someone, you, you murdered them in your heart. And if you murdered them in your heart, you're guilty of all sins. Same sins that Hitler did, you're guilty of. Scripture says, if you've broken one law, you broke them all. We have a debt that cannot be repaid. Yet, yet God, moved by love, angry at the sin because the sin was hurting us, separating us from him, relationship from him. He just wanted relationship with the very thing he loved the most. So he's the one who came to earth. And didn't just cancel it. He paid the debt off. See, when the king cancels the debt, anyone knows who, who has, who, who like someone owes you something, when you cancel that debt, you're, you're incurring the cost of that. Right? The debt is still being paid. It's just being paid by you. It's, it's being canceled. You're still incurring the cost. And the king incurs the cost of sin by coming in the form of Jesus. You see, the, the price of our sin is death. The, that is the cost. You go, that might be steep, but 
the reality is, when we look at it from the other point of view, like if, if there's somebody who was a murderer and, and, and child molester and all these things, these terrible things, we would want them to be punished for their sin. We'd, they'd, go to, they'd go to court and go to jail and we'd go, yeah, that's just and that's, that's true. And just as that is just, so is death for our sin is just. Because it, it's a terrible thing and it needs to be paid. And Jesus said, look, I, I'll pay the debt. I'm going to cancel their debt. But like in the story... See, what happens in this story is the man gets all his debt canceled, but then he goes and demands his debt be paid that's owed to him. Why does he do that? Because he does not accept. He does not accept the canceled debt from the king. What does he ask for? He asks for more time to pay it off. What does he get? He gets a canceled debt. See, in his mind, he still owes the king. And so he works really hard. I got to go collect all these debts of people that owe me so I can show the king that I can pay him back. I am still indebted. He doesn't receive the canceled debt. And so he doesn't walk in forgiveness. He doesn't walk a debt-free life, if you would. He's still living as if he has all this debt, and so he's trying to collect it to pay it all off. I think that's how we often live. That's why we don't necessarily receive freedom when our debt's been canceled from Jesus. We go, no, nah, but I owe all these things. So how do you know when you've fully forgiven someone? Again, I try to forgive, but I still have anger towards that person. How do you know when you've actually fully forgiven them? Well, first of all, I want you to understand this. Forgiveness is not a feeling, okay? Forgiveness is not a feeling. Canceling a debt is not something that we feel. It's a reality that we walk into. But on that same note, as, as often as those feelings of anger come back is as often as you cancel that debt again. Like the debt's been canceled. When you say, I know I'm going to cancel this debt, I'm going to forgive it, what you're really saying is I'm going to walk and begin a journey of what it means to walk a life of canceled debt for you. Yeah, it means I'm incurring some cost here, and so i got to work this out in my own life. And so when those feelings of anger come back, it might be every hour of every day for a while towards a spouse or towards a kid or towards someone that's close that you work with, and you're like, I'm going to cancel that debt. So when the anger comes up, you speak it out loud. I'm going to cancel this debt. And then pretty soon that, those hours are going to become days apart and days are going to become weeks apart and weeks are going to become months apart. And how do you know when you've kind of arrived in this place of living a life of a canceled debt for somebody else? Well, what does Paul say? When you have kindness and compassion to one another. When all of a sudden when you think of them and what you think and what you experience is kindness and compassion. Then you know, wow, I've really walked this journey of forgiveness, walked this journey of a canceled debt. Because now when I think of that person, now when I think of my dad who wasn't there, now when I think of that person who left me, now when I think of uh, the, all the times I was taken advantage of by that person, what fills my heart is kindness and compassion. Because we've been forgiven by Christ Jesus. You see, Here's the truth today. At the point where debt and forgiveness meet is where you experience the kingdom of God. At the point where debt and forgiveness meet, that is where the kingdom of God lies. That is where we walk into righteousness and peace and joy. As Paul writes in Romans, the kingdom of God are these things. That is where we could experience that. Is at the cross point, debt in forgiveness. And so today as we wrap up, I want to give us some action steps. We do these every single week. I want us to leave today with some real practical tools to walk towards a debt-free life, to walk towards canceling the debt of others, to walk into freedom, to walk into forgiveness. So here's action step number one. Begin a relationship with Jesus. Begin a relationship with the king who has canceled your debt. Receive that debt cancellation. Right? And maybe you're like, man, I've been a Christian. I've been like going to church for years, but you've never received actually a canceled debt from Jesus before. You're still trying to pay it off. Maybe you're hearing for the first time, man, there's a debt that you couldn't be pay, you could never pay off, but it has been wiped clean. Begin a relationship with Jesus today. Let us know to let us know you said yes to Jesus. Step number two, have a conversation with someone and bring your story into the light. Again, we often try to forget our story. No, I'm going to like just go through my life and just forget about my past, forget about what hurt me. No, talk about it with a trusted person. Bring it into the light. The light will always 
dispel the darkness. But that darkness will continue to live as long as your story continues to grow and fester in your heart. Maybe just right on the other side of a story today is freedom for you. Share your story. Number three, ask a trusted person if they see anger in your life. Don't get angry at them. Don't get angry at them. Ask a trusted person. Sometimes we just live with anger in our life and it just becomes kind of part of us. That's just my personality. No, there's something there. Do you see something? Do you see anger in my life? Well, yeah. You're not really an angry person, but every time this topic comes up or every time you're around this person, you've changed. I didn't even realize that. Number four, begin the journey of canceling debt owed to you by speaking it out loud. Try this in the morning. Johnny, I cancel your debt today. Speaking that out loud first thing in the morning. And when you see Johnny, it's like, it's like mm. don't tell them, Johnny, I cancel your debt today. But say to yourself, Johnny, I cancel your debt today. Speak it out loud. Hear yourself say it. And allow it to take root in your heart. If you guys would, go ahead and pray with me. Jesus, we thank you that you are the great king and that you canceled our debt. God, we owed you a debt that could never be paid, and yet you incurred the cost. You died for us, and and you did it from a place of love. Your anger for our sin drove you to love, a loving act. God, I pray that we would do the same. I pray that the debt that's owed to us, God, that it would drive us to loving acts, loving the people that owe us, God, walking in forgiveness. God, it doesn't mean what they did to us was okay. It doesn't mean that we're letting them off the hook. It doesn't mean any of these things, these fears that we have. What it means is we're gonna walk into freedom through the power of forgiveness. God, forgive us for walking so long in anger, justifying our anger. It's okay. I know this is, I'm a, I have the right to be angry over this thing. And maybe we did for a season, but God, the sun is setting. Let us learn to walk into forgiveness, God. Let us experience your forgiveness in our lives in, in, a, in a new way, in a way we never have. And that be the very motivation, God, that allows us to forgive others. We love you, Jesus. Thank you for these things. Amen. Thanks for watching this message from ACF Church. Uh, We hope it's encouraged you and challenged you to be more like Jesus and to walk with him in a closer and more profound way. If you'd like to give to the mission of ACF Church, you can do so at the link on the screen or at acfak.org. We love you and we'll see you next week.